So let's go ahead and just bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for displaying your love for us and all the ways that you do. Thank you for meeting us right where we are. Thank you for this week's study. So it's so ministered to me, and I pray that it touches the hearts of all the ladies here today. And I pray that you um, would just bless our time here together, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we bless you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Under um, Nehemiah's leadership, the people of Jerusalem were able to complete the rebuilding of the city walls. All that remained to do was to restore the city gates, which would um, make the city secure and strengthen the community of believers that lived within the city. Uh, Sambalot and his friends, they failed miserably in their attempts to stop the people from doing their work. So they decided to switch gears and focus their attention on Nehemiah. Their plan was to take out Nehemiah, or at the very least, to discredit him, thus allowing them the opportunity to mobilize their allies um, living in Jerusalem and to take over the city. People in leadership, especially those in spiritual leadership, are under extreme pressure and testing, not just on occasion, but on an ongoing daily basis. Um, Such people are oftentimes blamed for things they haven't done and criticized for things that they try to do. They're often misquoted and misunderstood, and they're rarely offered the opportunity to set the record straight. Um, If they act too quickly, they're thought of as being reckless. And if they take their time on a matter, they're considered weak and um, indifferent. People in positions of leadership not only carry the burden and the pressures that come with the territory, they also face a fierce battle with the enemy, um, who the Bible says is a master deceiver and a murderer. The Bible also says that Satan comes in either of two ways, as a serpent that deceives and a lion who devours. Um, Christian leaders need to be alert at all times because the enemy never rests and they must be spiritually equipped with the full armor of God in order to oppose him. We as God's people need to be praying in earnest for those who are both in civil and spiritual authority over us, um, for they make decisions that concern and affect us all. Satan would like nothing better than to take down a Christian leader, because by doing so, he could access and cripple an entire ministry. And worse yet, he could potentially discredit the cause for Christ. Um, The enemy's main goal was to create fear in the heart of Nehemiah and in those with, um, working with him. Nehemiah knows the fear, that fear destroys faith and faithlessness can paralyze, rendering God's people useless in his cause. Nehemiah overcame any fear he may have had by the strong faith he had in God and a strong desire to complete the work that God appointed him to do. Nehemiah chose not to listen to the enemy's lies, but instead to t- stay on task and complete the wall and to hang the gates. And all of this in the mind-blowing, breakneck record speed of only 52 days. Can't even imagine. God was totally behind that. And uh, much to the dismay of his adversaries. Alrighty, so here I'm going to present four different strategies in the attack on Nehemiah. These strategies are compromise, slander, threats, and intrigue. Some things never change. He still uses the same strategies that he uses on our spiritual leaders today. I guess it's true when the saying says, a leopard never changes its spots. Satan doesn't either. (laughs) Alrighty, so if you would turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 6, um, we'll start with verses 1 through 4. Sambalai, Tobiah, Gisham, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gap remained. 
though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sambalé and Gisham sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I, can, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come meet with you? Four times they sent this message, and each time I gave the same reply. Alrighty, up to this point, Sanballat, um, Tobiah, and Gisham had opposed everything the Jews were doing, but suddenly they seem to have a change of heart and are now offering to cooperate and help to build um, the wall. Um, They're now offering to meet with Nehemiah in a village halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria, a quiet, secluded place where they can, and I quote, make plans to work together. I don't know about you, but I'm with Nehemiah on this one. These guys are up to no good. Um, Their approach was that they were willing to meet Nehemiah halfway. Um, You give a little, I'll give a little. After all, they were willing to bury the hatchet. The least Nehemiah could do um, was to be neighborly and hear them out, right? No, that would be to compromise. Um, We can clearly see the enemy's strategy here. He's thinking, if you can't beat them, join them, and then take over. Once the enemy gets a foothold in the ministry, he then starts to weaken the work from within, and in the end, the work will fail. Always remember this. When you invite the devil to your team, to join your team, expect him to change the rules and also to um, alter the goals. And then you can also be um, expected to fail and to be defeated. Um, Nehemiah rejected their offer because of these three convictions. First, he knew that they were lying and that they wanted to kill him. Nehemiah had what all spiritual leaders should possess if they planned to detect and defeat the enemy, and that is spiritual discernment. Secondly, he was convinced of the greatness of the work that God had given him to do. Nehemiah did not allow himself to become distracted or detoured from the work that God had called him to do. He set a good example, and he stayed on task. Thirdly, the Jews had nothing in common with Sambalot and the crowd that he associated with. So there couldn't possibly be a basis for cooperation. Nehemiah made it perfectly clear from the onset of the rebuilding project when he said um, that Sambalot, Tobiah, and Gisham, he told them that, um, and I quote, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right um, to it, and this is in Nehemiah 2:20. Um, and why would you ask um, that he said this to them? Well, in Ezra 4:1 through 3, it tells us that during the rebuilding efforts of the temple, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin were people who had been relocated in the northern kingdom when Assyria conquered Israel. You can read about it for yourself in Second Kings chapter 17. And in Ezra 3.3, it says that even though the Jews were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar on its old site and that they began burning um, offerings on the altar to the Lord every morning and every night. Even though the Jews were afraid, they were going to be attacked by the surrounding people. A mixed group of people whose ancestors had been conquered by the Assyrians, foreigners had been forced to resettle in the northern kingdom of Israel after Israel was defeated and her people taken captive in 722 B.C. This resettlement procedure was a common tactic of the Assyrians to prevent strong nationalistic uprisings by the conquered peoples. 
Some of the resettled people in Israel had migrated south near Jerusalem, and they may have thought that returning exiles threatened their claim to the land. So that, I think, explains a lot to what's going on here. It's like a repeat. Alrighty, God's people are different from the people of the world. God set them apart unto himself to do his bidding and not to mix and mingle and imitate them to the point where one can no longer tell them apart from those in the world. God's people instructed to maintain their separate positions. If Nehemiah had cooperated with Sambalot and his allies, how could he have led the nations to separate themselves from the foreigners in the land? Had he cooperated with the enemy, it would have made him inconsistent and ineffective. Nehemiah um, possessed both discernment and determination. He would not allow himself to be... Bless you. He would not allow himself to be um, influenced by the enemy through the repeated efforts of offering to join forces. Their offer of compromise was wrong the first time, and it would continue to be wrong no matter how many times they resubmitted it. Therefore, there was no reason for Nehemiah to reconsider. Decisions based on opinion should be reconsidered, but decisions based on conviction must stand. Otherwise, decisions become indecision, and a leader's credibility is lost. Um, and the enemy's second strategy of slander we'll find in verses 5 through 9. I'll read them for you now. The fifth time Sambalot's um, servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is rumor among the surrounding nations, and Gishan, or Gishan tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth to any part of your story. You are making it up, the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. I like that. Man, I, I hope to be like that too. Um, all right, here we read that on the fifth attempt, the enemy approaches Nehemiah with an open letter, accusing him of treason. The enemy had hinted at Jewish insurrection before the building project had even begun in chapter 2, verse 19. It's possible um, they may have borrowed this idea or tactic from the people who had, stop, who had stopped the rebuilding of the temple years before in Ezra chapter 4, as I had mentioned previously. Um, this would be considered a serious charge in Nehemiah's day, for the Persian king would not tolerate any resistance from any of his subjects. Any hint of rebellion would have been immediately and ruthlessly dealt with. Um, letters to officials in those days were as a rule they were rolled up and they were secured with a seal so that um, only those in authority could open and read them. Therefore an open letter to a royal governor would not only be um, intimidating it would also be insulting. Um, Sambalot wanted the public to know the contents of the letter. It was his hope in doing so to determine Nehemiah's reputation or to undermine Nehemiah's reputation and also his authority. Should some of Nehemiah's Jewish workers get wind and believe the contents of the letter to be true, Sambalot would have organized them and created division amongst them, allowing the enemy a foothold and a perfect opportunity to divide and conquer. When people make statements like, and I quote, it's been said, or they say, 
um, I caution you, don't listen to such um, things. They have um, been the cause of much trouble in our local churches, ministries, and even other organizations. People that live for the next tidbit of gossip are compared to vultures, just waiting for that next tidbit um, or the next tasty morsel of slander so that they can chew it up, swallow it, and then regurgitate it upon the first available person who is willing to listen to such toxic, venomous spewings. A witty person once said, gossip, um, or define gossip as news you have to hurry up and tell someone else before you find out it isn't true. <laughs> All righty, and... Um, <laughs> Isn't it true? (laughs) Um, To willingly allow yourself to be used of the enemy, to maliciously bear false witness, or to spread um, defamatory statements against a servant of God is not only sinful and reckless on the part of the gossip monger, but those fiery darts have a way of finding their way back to the source and causing them great harm spiritually and physically. Not only did the enemy falsely accuse Nehemiah of forming a rebellion, they also said that he was planning to make himself king and that he even had prophets at the ready to announce his coronation. Wow, did that story ever grow. Just imagine if this report had gotten back to the Persian king, heads would have rolled and I'm pretty sure that the king would have doubly made sure that the Jerusalem rebuilding project would have been scrapped altogether. Um, it's imperative for our Christian leaders of today to know how to handle and deal with false accusations and gossip. Otherwise, these fiery darts hurled at them by the enemy will upset them so to the point of causing them to lose perspective and to spend all their time putting out fires and defending themselves when they should be focused on the work that God has appointed for them to do. Nehemiah made no such mistake. He simply denied the reports, prayed to God for strength, and went right on working. Nehemiah was confident that God would protect him and he knew that his character and reputation would speak for itself. He had proven himself a faithful servant of God and had treated the people fairly and generously. Nehemiah took care of his character and God in turn took care of Nehemiah's reputation. And he'll do that for you and me too. Um, Nehemiah was able to shrug the whole incident off, continue working, and trust that God would complete the work that he had started. Alrighty, and we're moving on now to verses 10 through 14. Later, I went to visit, and I have my cheat sheet here on how to pronounce these names. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so later I went to visit Shimei, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, um, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah, Sambalot, and Sambalot have done. And remember um, Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Now here we can plainly see the third attack of the enemy, which was threats against Nehemiah. A prophet for hire 
Um, this prophet for hire devises a clever plan attempting to trap Nehemiah. He locks himself up in his home in order to give the impression that, like Nehemiah, his life was also in grave danger. When Nehemiah pays a visit to his home, Shemaiah advises that they, ref- um, that they take refuge in the temple where the enemy can't reach them. Shemaiah's words and tone of voice were very threatening. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Shemaiah had access to the temple, so it's possible that he was of priestly lineage. Even so, Nehemiah saw right through this elaborate scheme, and he let Shemaiah know that he would not run at the first sign of danger. Nehemiah was nobody's fool, and he was no coward. His reply to Shemaiah of, Should such a man as I flee, in verse 11, and I cannot come down, in verse 3, then his declaration of, I will not go, in verse 11, showcases Nehemiah's true leadership skills and where his heart was at. Um, He was no one's puppet for hire, as Shemaiah was. Had Nehemiah allowed fear and panic to overtake him, and, and he... Wait, to be, well, let me start that over again. Sorry about that. He was no one's puppet for hire, as Shemaiah was. Had Nehemiah allowed fear and panic to overtake him, um, and he would have taken Shemaiah's advice to run and hide in the temple, Nehemiah's reputation would have been ruined permanently. Um, Nehemiah rejected Shemaiah's suggestion because it went against the law of Moses, where it states, it is forbidden for laymen to go beyond the altar of burnt offerings at the temple. The Bible says in Nehemiah, or in Numbers 18.7, that any unauthorized person who comes too near the sanctuary will be put to death. Nehemiah knew that Shemaiah was a false prophet because the message he delivered was inconsistent with the word of God. Um, We as God's people have been given his word in order to test and compare what others tell us um, to what the truth um, of God's word actually says to us. God's word is accurate and true, and Satan's lies will always be exposed in the light of God's word. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing out there waiting to take down and devour the faithless followers of God. Use discernment, as Nehemiah did. Know what the word says, ponder it, and memorize it. Um, when, so when the need arises, and it will, you will be totally equipped to handle any situation you find yourself in, and you will be able to spot an imposter who claims to be a servant of God from over a mile away. Nehemiah 6.14 clearly shows that there was a conspiracy against Nehemiah among the prophets, including a prophetess named Noadiah. The Jewish people had great respect for their prophets. So you can just imagine what pressure this put on poor Nehemiah. He was outnumbered, yet he stood his ground. He was a layman opposed by a body of professionals. It kind of reminds me of the situation Daniel found himself in when he was thrown into the lion's den. Nehemiah rose to the occasion and did um, what all devoted Christians should do, and that's to pray. All righty, verses 15 through 19. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn alliance to him because his father-in-law was Shekinah, 
um, son of Era and the son of Jehohonam, um, who was married to the daughter of Mishulam and son of Berechiah. They kept telling me of Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Um, here we have the fourth and last strategy of the enemy, and that's intrigue. The completion of the walls was both unexpected and embarrassing for the enemy, but still they didn't give up. Satan is tenacious, and he will not quit. He is like a dog with a bone, or better yet, a monkey with his hand clutching a banana stuck in a jar. <laughs> mm, I've heard it said that you can see Satan's, Satan at, if you can see Satan at work, um, or if you can't see Satan at work, I'm sorry, it's because he's gone underground. And it's better when he's in plain sight <clears throat> than when he conceals himself. Upon um, open opposition, keeps us alert and trusting in God. So Nehemiah said, watch and pray. That was his chief admonition to his people in Nehemiah 9.4. It's hard to believe that a Jewish person would knowingly and willingly cooperate with the enemy but it is especially difficult to imagine and understand how the Jewish nobles from the royal tribe of Judah could jeopardize their own futures by cooperating with Tobiah. The enemy is smooth and crafty. His lying tongue is influential and convincing. Instead of seeking the truth, these nobles chose to believe the lies of the enemy and become traitors to their own people. Many letters were exchanged between Tobiah and the nobles, convincing them to side with him and even to go so far as to take an oath of loyalty to him. In um, no doubt, Tobiah flattered them with praise and promised them the moon. And they fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. They fell into the enemy's trap and willingly did his bidding of secretly sharing the damaging letters with others, allowing the conspiracy to grow against Nehemiah. Don't believe everything you hear about Christian leaders. You need to consider the source and firmly refuse to accept as truth anything that can't be proven. And for goodness sakes, don't repeat what you hear. You only become part of the problem then, and it really makes you look bad. Um, how can we avoid falling into temptation as Judah's nobles did? We need to yield to the Lord and obey him and not permit outside influences to cloud our judgment and decision making to the point where we begin to deliberately disobey God. Um, you all have probably heard the saying, blood is thicker than water, right? <laughs> uh, well, perhaps this is why <clears throat> the nobles decided to side with Tobiah. Not only was he a civil-tongued civil devil, he was also very convincing, able to influence people to his way of thinking. Um, plus, he, was, um, he had connections. He was tied to the tribe of Judah through marriage making it easier for the nobles of Judah to give their loyalty to him and to forget they were married to Jehovah God and that they owed him their love and loyalty. Jesus said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me, in Matthew 19:37, The nobles not only took direction from Tobiah, they reported back to Tobiah all that Nehemiah said and did. Perhaps they hoped this would guarantee them favor in Tobiah's eyes and earn them a greater reward than Tobiah and his friends. Um, wait, sorry about that. A greater reward when Tobiah and his friends um, took over Jerusalem. They were traitors both to the nation and to the Lord. They, report, um, they repeatedly told Nehemiah what a fine man Tobiah really was. Boy, what a crock that is. Um, 
And uh, these nobles of Judah, um, if they had been studying and meditating on the word of God, they would have um, had spiritual discernment and would not have been walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Tobiah kept sending letters to his informers and they kept telling people to change their alliance before Jerusalem was taken over by the Gentiles. Nehemiah just ignored the letters and the threats and he, bless you, and he kept on um, working till the work was completed. God gave him a job to do and when God begins a work, he completes it. Amen. Alrighty, and in closing, um, I'd like to leave you with this. Uh, there once was a lady who never spoke ill of anyone. A friend said to her, I believe you would say something nice, even of the devil. She replies, well, you certainly have to admire his persistence. (laughs) All right. In order to finish our course, we need to fight the good fight of faith by discerning and resisting the enemy's many tempting tactical snares. And when our Lord returns, he will ultimate, we will ultimately triumph over this nasty, evil adversary, and the devil will finally get his due. Amen. All righty, ladies. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Oh, Father God, thank you for this week's study in Nehemiah. It really emphasized just how fierce the battle is for those who fight against the enemy. Help us, Lord, to remember to pray for our pastor, Jeff, his wife, Connie, and their boys, Brandon and Austin, and all those in spiritual leadership, not just in our church, but in ministries all around the world. Renew their strength. Give them courage, Father God. Protect them from evil. And fill their spiritual gas tanks to overflowing. And may you find your people, um, when Christ returns, busy at work, building up the church, and completing the work with joy and determination, as Nehemiah did, the work you have appointed for each of them to do. I also ask a special blessing upon each of the ladies here today as they sit at your feet, feeding on your word. May you meet their needs and give them peace as only you can. May our time together, sharing in your word, bless and please you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.